Welcome to the Infill Podcast, where we interview the most interesting members of the 3D printing and maker communities live and with audience participation. And now, here is your host, Jonathan Levy. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm really, really excited about today's episode. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by one of my favorite content creators slightly outside of the 3D printing space. Uh, some of you may know him for his amazing channel, Shop Nation, but also he runs a full 3D print farm where he's selling products that he developed. So a lot of interesting points and angles we're going to explore. Originally, he comes from traditional manufacturing uh, and made the transition not just into running his own shop, running his own print farm, but more recently, a year and a half ago, content creation to all of our benefits. So please... Join me in welcoming Travis Lathrop from Shop Nation. Travis, welcome, my friend. How are you? Hello. Thanks Thanks for having me, Jonathan. It is my absolute pleasure. Uh, I am a huge, huge fan of your content and uh, just really excited to pick your brain. Before we get into that, though, uh, for the one or two people who haven't discovered you and your content in the audience, I'd love if you gave us kind of an origin story of, you know, you were in, an, in I mean, you were doing this like a big boy time, right? As actually a professional in manufacturing, an engineer, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And then something yeah, changed so, in you. So take me through that journey. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say something necessarily changed in me. I think it just manifested into what it was already going to be. Um, okay. You know, like you, it sounds like you've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Um, so have I. My dad was an entrepreneur. He's also an engineer. So I'd from an early age, I kind of figured I would always go out on my own. I just didn't know what fork I was going to take to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I got a degree in mechanical engineering, went to work for um, a couple different companies. And at one of the large companies I was working for, uh, one of my leaders tasked me with starting an additive manufacturing program within the company. Cool. And the, the company, um, you know, of course, had an R&D department that had some 3D printers that were holed up in some building somewhere that no one really ever saw. Um, and my sort of assignment was to make it functional. Like we want to actually use something that comes off of a 3D printer. So mm-hmm. I went to work just kind of researching and, of course, found that there's a lot of, you know, gimmicky little, you know, tchotchke type stuff that sits on people's desks that don't necessarily do anything. Um, so I started, you know, kind of going down the rabbit hole of functional 3D printing. And I came across a company called Mark Forged. They do carbon fiber composite. Uh, 3D mm-hmm. printing, which that was really unique and something I'd never seen before. So I talked my boss into buying one. We started putting it to use right away. And long story short, we ended up with, you know, 10, 10 or so printers in, in that department that were servicing a lot of different areas of the business. And I just, I don't know, I got like a spark in me where I, it just like, it made sense. I love the, the application of 3D printing to solve real things, not just make things that look pretty, which is right. totally a functional part of, you know, what 3D printing can do. Right. Um, but when it comes to, uh, you know, what else it can do, I think there was just, it seemed like that market was sort of underserved. So anyway, um, after working for that company, I actually went to work for the 3d printing company, Mark Forge, when they were still a startup as an applications oh, engineer. Yeah. yeah. It was the most fun I've ever had in a job in my entire life. Cause it was literally, I was paired up with a sales guy essentially. And I was like the technical side. And we would just travel around all these Fortune 500 companies and show them how to use additive manufacturing, you know, whether it be like an assembly line. Job. It was awesome. Yeah. And I just hung, I talked 3D printing like every single day. 
Yeah. And uh, it was great. So I got to see not only like my interest has always been in how things are made and just manufacturing and like the show, how it's made literally was one of my favorite shows growing up. Right. Uh, so walking into like, you know, a Ford plant or walking into like a, a satellite manufacturing plant or a medical device, manu- like I got to see how all these different things were made and all these like unique ways that 3D printing could could fit there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I spent a couple of years there, realized that like only half of my itch was, or half of my scratch was being itched, I guess. Um, okay. I still had that entrepreneurial thing in the back of my head where when I was working for that company, I was still just kind of a cog in a wheel. You know, mm-hmm. it was a very fun wheel. I had a lot of, you know, learned a lot, but I wasn't doing my own thing. I wasn't like steering my own ship. So I, I kind of figured that I wanted to eventually do that. In parallel with that job, I started doing content creation on the side. So I started the Shop Nation YouTube channel back in 2017, just as like a, like, let's just try this. Like I had no aspirations to do it full time. Actually, in fact, I knew I did not want to do it full time at that time. Yeah. Um, and just like, you know, I didn't have kids, had some free time. I was, I was always thinking of, you know, things to do. And I was building out a workshop at my house. And my, like what I found myself looking for, like, this is the classic entrepreneurial story is you find, you find a need and you fill it. Right. I always found myself trying to, uh, watch people's content about how they set up their shop and how they can make it more efficient and how, like what tips and tricks they have to, to make the most of of their space. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't anything dedicated to that. There was just like little bits and pieces kind of scattered throughout a bunch of different channels. So I said, well, you know, why don't I try and start a channel focusing on that because I was starting essentially from a blank slate. I wanted to build up a shop that I could, you know, do all kinds of stuff in. Um, and yeah, so 3d printing kind of like wove its way into that. Uh, not as much early on, but I was certainly doing it uh, on the side in parallel. And then it just kind of like evolved to where I am now, which, um, you know, is still shop focused, but I've moved towards, uh, a productized like side of things. I still do content creation, but I've, I found a, a niche product market that 3D printing fits really well in. And so I've kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of in a roundabout way ended, ended up back at the additive manufacturing route. Right. And I think I'd forgotten, it now rings a bell that you actually earlier on in your career had been in 3D printing, but it's almost as if you had these two tracks of your being, three really, the third being entrepreneurship, but one was you know, building stuff with your hands, being a mechanical engineer, like being really down in there. The other was additive manufacturing, using it for manufacturing, not just prototyping and things like that. And then entrepreneurship yep. and, and you managed to kind of finally braid all three of them together into one uh, being in existence. So congratulations yeah. on that. I do want to get into your your business and, and the shop and everything, but I want to ask you, so you're an engineer, and I get that a lot of your skills probably come from traditional education, but I imagine all the amazing woodworking that you do and machining and everything that you do in your shop, that was learned somewhere else. So was this a mentor who taught you? Are you self-taught? I mean, you build beautiful things out of wood and metal and all kinds of stuff. So where does that skill come from? Um, you know, it, go- it goes back to childhood, I think is where it started. You know, I was always the kid that wanted to play with Legos and a rector set. And I've just, I've always enjoyed building stuff no matter what the medium was. Mm-hmm. Um, I also of course had great mentors growing up. So my dad was always very hands-on. I would, you know, I'd watch him make stuff and would just yeah. want to aspire to be like him. Um, I had an uncle that was really, you know, very hands-on and very like 
skilled, you know, maker. He built, you know, hot rods and all kinds of cool stuff. So I, I was always in this environment where building stuff was like very normal and like learning new things was something that I was always passionate about. Like I would try and build RC planes growing up, or I would, you know, I would always try to do something different. So when I reached adulthood and I suddenly had like, you know, expendable income that I can now build more cool stuff with, mm-hmm. I just like, honestly, YouTube, like I, I just, totally immersed in YouTube and watched a lot of videos and watched people do things. It's funny, like a lot of skills you can pick up by watching somebody do something, not ne- not necessarily explain how they did it, which yeah. I never comprehended early on because you'd, you'd watch videos where there's no talking, right? It, whether it just be music or it's just sped up footage, um, there'd be a lot you can glean from just watching somebody do something. You can pick up little things like, oh, he did that before he did that, or you know, right. he measured it this way or whatever it is. So. I think my interest in that drove me to want to learn more as time went on. And then you just get out and you just try it. I mean, there's plenty of things I built that were total catastrophes, but every time you do that, you learn a little, you know, learn something new uh, here Absolutely. and there. So my, my mantra has always been, don't, don't be afraid to try something like failure is not, is not the end. It's just a, a part of learning. That's kind of how I Absolutely. Spot. Absolutely. So as I told you before we hit record, a lot of our audience, maybe 3D printing is their gateway into making things, creating things, and then they do a little bit of designing, CAD. Let us know in the chat if that's you. And then they kind of, you know, they discover maybe Morley Kurt or someone else like yourself who does some 3D printing or Alexander Chappelle to complement yep. their woodworking. And then they go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I've also gone back and forth. My dad is great with wood and he's built everything under the sun. Um, so I'm curious to ask, as someone who has had these two parallel paths of creation in their life, uh, what advice can you give to someone who wants to get better at, at building things with not additive, not just 3D printing? What are some, and I know you you sell plans, so feel free to plug your own plans and stuff like that. What are some yep. great first projects, some great first tools, maybe some channels people can check out if they want to go down this path of, hey, I, I really like making stuff with my 3D printer and I'd like to make other stuff as well. Yeah, I think I think what 3D printing has done is, I mean, you mentioned gateway. I really do call it the gateway drug of making stuff because it, what it's done is we've like democratized this like really cool technology to be this box that you can just put in your room for relatively little money that can do amazing things. And so what I think it's done is it's opened up people's eyes to the you know, I, I think a lot of people view making stuff or building stuff as like this thing that other people do that it's like, it's too complicated. It's not me. You know, I don't have those skills. The truth is nobody has those skills when they start, right? Everyone has sure. to build those skills and additive is a way to get into the process of making, um, with other mediums. So yeah, like there's tons of great channels out there, um, that, that will start with, you know, obviously like simpler projects, Yep. What I would urge people to do would, would be to focus on um, like techniques and foundational things to building things because that then spans to many more things. So it's not, I guess what I'm saying is don't learn to build one particular thing. Like, you know, I want to build a shelf for my room, whatever. Like focus on how they built the shelf and why they're doing it in that way. And maybe even in that order or using certain fastening techniques because that then applies to other things. Like it's just like, you know, you could spend your entire life learning crazy woodworking techniques, you know, like Japanese joinery and all this crazy stuff, right? But then you can spend a whole other lifetime 
in welding and you can spend a whole other lifetime in, you know, turning wood. Uh, there's like, there's huge, there's an infinite possibilities of things you can learn. So start with what you're interested in, but, but focus on foundational things mm -hmm. that a lot of these channels out there, you know, I, there's, there's probably too many to name really. Um, but like Bob and I like to make stuff. He's got a great channel. He channel. does a lot of things. Yeah. He does a lot of things that are like fairly simple that end up being really cool things, you know, and, and, and he even the goes plans into... as well, because exactly. I think a big hurdle for a lot of people such as myself is I can visualize it up in, up until recently, I wasn't comfortable putting it out in CAD and also just having the experience to say, you know, Hey, this, I don't know how to design furniture. I can design little parts, but right. like what proportions are going to look nice for a shop uh, shop workbench or yeah. True. Yeah. How, how well, tall that... should my drawers be to be functional? So <laughs> right. Being yeah. able to find plans and then it, I, I love what you said about don't focus on the project, focus on the technique, right? So if it's yeah. learning how to use a router or do pocket holes correctly, you can right. then take those skills. You don't want to just learn how to build a workbench. You want to learn the skills that allow you to build a workbench and then 500 other things. Right. And they all build on each other. Like there's certain fastening techniques that are really easy and there's some that are really hard. Obviously start at the easy ones and work your way up. But I think another, you mentioned something that uh, was, became really apparent when I worked at Mark Forge, when we'd go to all these companies and we'd say, Hey, look how amazing additive is. We can make all kinds of stuff for your robots, whatever, you know, rapidly rather than have it machined out of aluminum or whatever. And the biggest roadblock we ran into was like, these companies were like biting at the bit. They're like, yes, yes, let's do it. They're, the the limiting factor in 99% of the cases was not money. It was not the an engineer's willingness to try it. It was the ability to design a part. So it was like simple CAD really? stuff. I can't draw it up. So that's another thing I think Additive is doing a really good job um, in speeding up sort of this like maker community is a lot, a lot of people are getting exposed to CAD much earlier, which ends up making things easier down the road. Cause like, even if you're making something out of wood that you don't necessarily need to CAD up, you can at least build it in CAD roughly. Right. And say like, Ooh, that looks pretty cool. Maybe I'll, I'll do it that way. Yeah. So it gives like people a, a tool that is really just, I mean, it's huge. I use CAD all the time. I love it. But there's a lot of people, if you're not in the engineering world, you'd probably never even think about learning CAD right. or even you a draw it on CAD, the back so. of a napkin and it's good enough yeah. for woodworking. Yeah. That's really interesting. I would love to ask because I watch videos like yours or Bob's and it's super tempting. Morley is another one. It's super tempting to go, okay, I need a track saw and I need a miter saw and I need a planer. Yeah. Can you tell I watch a, a shitload of YouTube content, but you don't <laughs> need all that. So I wonder nope. like if I, if I'm out there, right, a, a 3D printer today costs between 500 and 1,000 bucks or 250 and 1,000 bucks. So let's say 500 and 1,000 bucks. And I'm, you know, one of the people in the audience saying, hey, I really love my 3D printer. I want to make more. I'm going to just dip my toe in with 500 bucks worth of tools or 1,000 bucks. Let's say 500. Like what are your, you got to have these tools for that 500 bucks to dip your toe into being able to, determine if you really enjoy it as much as you enjoy 3d printing yeah no that's a it's a good question because i think a lot of people probably it's in yeah i mean you're exactly right if you watch i mean even you know you mentioned some channels but there's others where they just have these beautiful shops with all of these tools i mean it's like tens of thousands of dollars for the tools and you're like and like stuff that's just not practical yeah, for you and i to keep like, you know totally unapproachable so the thing is like all of those shops were built over time right they right. started they didn't just walk in and spend 
$50,000 and deck out a shop and then start building. They started with something simple. So if I were to say, if you had a $500 budget, um, to make it stretch a little further, I'd probably go the used route and try and find a couple things that are used. Um, one thing that if you're, if you're going to go down the woodworking route, I would buy a pocket hole jig because that is the most versatile way to join wood in, I mean, of course it's the, it's not as, um, you know, if you're a true woodworker, you kind of don't like pocket holes, whatever. Sure. I'm not. So I, I have no, yeah, yeah. I have no bias. Um, but yeah, a pocket hole jig will let you fasten things together very, very strongly, very easily. Yep. Um, I would get a circular saw and a drill or driver with those yep. three tools. You can build a lot of stuff. Yep. Yep. It's interesting to me that you said the circular saw instead of the jigsaw, because I guess the jigsaw would let you do more in kind of more fancy stuff, but it's in the hands yeah, of I mean, a beginner going to be more difficult. Yeah. Like it, it would depend on what you want to make. If you're making very like ornate things with a lot of curves, then yeah, jigsaw would probably make more sense. But most things have straight cuts, you know, yep. Um, yep. if you're building a bench or a piece of furniture, it's usually a bunch of straight cuts or long, long cuts. My big takeaway from what you said earlier is really this kind of like, I think a lot of people feel that they need permission, like in the sense that, you know, and I felt this way yeah. about engineering. Like I didn't study engineering. So who am I to jump into CAD and be designing all this stuff that I want to make that I, you know, now takes up my entire desk. Um, right. right. But, you know, you are an engineer and you're foraying into woodworking. You didn't exactly do an internship uh, or no. there, there's yeah. a term for this apprenticeship which I don't think is a, is a thing in the U.S., but it is in Not anymore. In yeah, it should be. Um, and, and you don't exactly ask for permission. And I think that's a, a really big takeaway. And as you said, 3D printing is that gateway. Like, no, I never got permission to hop into CAD and design stuff and engineer and blah, blah, blah. But it's a, it's a great gateway because it starts off as this innocuous, uh, as all gateway drugs do, this innocuous <laughs> hobby that's for consumers and marketed towards everyday people and, so that's really, really interesting. Um, I want to yep. transition a little bit and talk about the whole business side of this, right? Because it, for those who don't know, you have what appears, at least from the outside, to be a very successful business selling 3D printed parts that you design around shop tools and enhancements and accessories and a lot of like mm -hmm. improving tools, uh, you know, from the factory that have some shortcoming. Tell me about that journey. Uh, and, and I guess that started before the content creation or during the content creation. It started during, um, and it's funny cause even if I, if I think back to starting, I always knew that like a product for me was the end goal. Mm -hmm. I, I, but again, like I didn't know which way it was going to be. And I think that's a lesson in business entrepreneurship, whatever. You don't have to know the exact path. You can just know the direction. Right. And yeah. then as things come up and as you learn, as, as you adapt, like you can pivot and kind of make your own way. So I started selling a couple products, um, probably two years into my YouTube channel, um, uh, because I, I found kind of a unique way that 3d printing can solve a problem. And I thought, Hmm, maybe there's people out there that want to, you know, do this in their shop because, you know, I say way back then, back in 2017, 3d printing was nowhere near as, um, uh, rampant, I guess you could call it, uh, as it is now. Um, you know, it's been, it's been growing ever since, you know, 2008 ish when all the patents started running out. But even in 2017, it was still kind of like a, you know, you, you were, you were a certain type of person. If you had a 3d printer, you weren't, it was not as, as broad. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I started, you know, at, at that time, I, I think I had two, you know, printers that were printing products and, they, and most of the time they were not running. It's not like I was running them around the clock or anything, but it was just kind of like this nice little, I, I almost consider it merch at the time. Um, and then as over, over time, I would, you know, continue to develop a couple things. Every time I would go to design something, I thought I would like run it through this filter in my head. Like, is this something that somebody would want? Okay. Is this something that somebody would buy? Okay, is this something, you know, how much would they buy it for? And I kind of like arrive at whether or not it would be a product that I sell. Um, so then fast forward to about two years ago, I started trying to solve a problem that, um, that I had in my shop. And that was my miter saw would generate a ton of sawdust. Now, every miter saw has a dust collection um, attachment to it that supposedly sucks up sawdust. Most of them do absolutely nothing. And it's just like, it's a well-known fact, especially in the woodworking community, like miter saws are just messy. Like there's really not a great one that is always clean. Um, and the one I bought just like was probably one of the worst offenders I'd ever seen. So I thought, you know what? Like this doesn't seem like that hard of a problem. Like, and I have a 3D printer, like why not try and solve it? So I, I filmed a video of me trying to solve it and I like failed miserably. And, and I, you know, I, it, I went through that thing where I was almost like, do I even post this? Like why show a failure? But I ended up posting it as like a lesson that like, just because you approach something and it doesn't work, it's okay. So it ended up turning into like a three video series of me developing this thing at the end that finally worked. And toward, as I was getting towards the end, you know, I saw comments of people saying, oh, I got the same saw, I've got the same problem. If you fix it, I'll buy one. And so I'm like, mm. okay. You know, so that, 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 it enters the design question too, because there's a big difference between designing something that you're going to print once and designing something that you want to manufacture, right? So I, I don't want to remove 50,000 supports from a part and, you know, expect to do that hundreds of times as I sell them. So I started designing it, you know, in a way that I knew I could like produce it at scale later. Um, so anyway, that was sort of the launch of the miter saw dust collection. And I've since like uh, sort of forked into many, many different miter saws. And that's kind of like the niche I serve now. Um, and then, you know, as time goes on, it may expand into other tools and other, other sort of things, but dust collection is seems, seems to be like a hot topic that a lot of people struggle with. People are willing to pay money for to fix and, uh, 3d printing kind of is a unique fit for it. Yeah. It strikes me that I, I know a few folks, content creators and otherwise who do very well either on their own stores. I don't know if you also sell on Etsy or not. I do, um, unfortunately. I hate yeah. Etsy. So I know a, a, quite a few people who succeed well, and it really seems so. I came from the content creation world, and Russell Brunson, who people hate, people love, but he's kind of a guru when it comes to like creating successful content and, and courses and things. And he always says the niches are in the riches, right? Like mm -hmm. you got to do a lot of audience building before you are allowed to get into generic content. Like you know, I build, or uh, I like to build stuff. Like he had to do a lot mm. of niche woodworking videos and car videos before he could be like, hey, I'm gonna remodel my house and people are gonna watch it. Same with Alexander yep. Chappelle. Like we all watch him remodel his house because we love his, you know, creative solutions with 3D right. printing, da, da, da. But I wouldn't have found him if he just started remodeling his house. So uh, the folks that I know who are doing well on Etsy, yourself, YGK3D, Macy Makes, they're doing, such specific niche stuff like it's miter saw dust collection it's name tags for teachers it's 
postage accessories for dispensing postage if you're doing a lot of shipping, like that kind of stuff. And it yep. really seems to me, I, I'm kind of drawing a takeaway for you, but it seems to me that one of the best tips for folks who want to do well selling 3D printed products is find something so niche that it almost doesn't make sense to injection mold 10 million of them. Either it needs to be customized Correct. or, you know, there's so many brands of miter saw out there. You're not going to, you're not going to make an injection mold for each one to do an aftermarket exactly. part. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, 3d printing, you know, lives in the, the part of the Venn diagram, if you think about it of, um, high mix, low volume manufacturing. So if you've got, you know, whether it be a very niche thing where the, the, the market size is small enough where, you know, you mentioned like an injection mold makes no sense. 3d printing is a great fit. If there's a lot of variability or customization. 3d printing is a great fit. Um, if there's things that like in my case, like I, I've, I've looked at injection molding, given my background, I know, I know about injection molding. I've talked to injection molding places. I know what goes into designing for injection molds. Um, and even nowadays, like, you know, historically, if you're going to make less than a hundred thousand units, injection molding made no sense. Nowadays, there's lower volume options. So right. it's, it's entering feasibility, but even then, and this, and this goes back to like, I use, I always use Prusa as like the best example of this. Right. Prusa is at a point where they can injection mold all the parts on their printer. Like there's no reason why they need to 3d print. You know, they don't, they don't yeah. have to have a print farm of 600 plus printers just to, to make those parts. But Joseph's philosophy is that like, if I want to make a, a change, I can implement it the next day. I don't have to yeah. wait, you know, six weeks for tooling changes. And then I've got to like buy out the part. And like, I was goes, thinking I, about this today. And I, you know, I love Prusa machines as much as the next guy. I was thinking about it today. And I was like, yeah, but you, you didn't change anything on the machine for seven years or five years. That's true. Years. <laughs> That's true. But I, th but I think what it does come down to is for the first year, right? So it's like, yeah, the Mark III stayed the same, but it's for that first year and you can see it already on the Mark IV. They're going to start making these little changes. Yep. So it's like, we, what he should say is not if I want to make changes, it's we can continue improving the product, you know, after launch, which allows us to launch our product sooner and faster. And that's, right. they do do that. You know, they are going to yep. make improvements and changes and things like that. On the Mark IV, on yeah. the XL, they're still they're making tons of changes, and they can do that is because it? they they have an injection molding, you know. Right. Yeah. At yeah. And that's I think like they're where... making tons of changes. I don't have one. I don't know, but I, I've definitely seen like a lot of videos. Maybe it's just software improvements, but anyway, I don't want. Yeah, to I would think it, I would think it's mostly software driven, but yeah, I think they have the flexibility to do hardware changes too, which is kind of yeah. nice. So like in, in my world, I don't think that any of my products are hundred percent optimized yet. So even if the volumes made sense, yeah. I don't know if I'm comfortable enough with the current state of that design to say, right. okay, yeah, let's just pump out, you know, a ton of them and be stuck with it. Do you have any customizability? Do you offer different colors or does everyone just want the same color as the, as the saw? Very limited. I, um, you know, I, I have like a little group that I, I wouldn't call coach. We're, 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 I call it my uh, my hustle club, and it's it's mostly three D printing entrepreneurs who are trying to get into like you know creating storefronts that make things with three D printing. Sure. And a lot of people like the fallacy that people fall into is like I'm just going to offer all these colors, and I'm like, right. don't do that. Like that's it's a it's a bad idea. 
Right. Uh, it's a bad idea for a lot of reasons, uh, like holding inventory. It's just, it's just bad. But also, like as you know, like switching between a white and a black, even if you've got killer purging and everything, you're still going to get little boogers in that white part that right. you know showed up from the black. Um, so I try to I try to standardize on color. I I try to standardize on as many things as I can. Color being right. one of them. So most of my parts I offer are black because if there is some inconsistency, it's usually hidden because it's black. Um, there are a few products where I offer color options, but it's like one or two colors. That's it. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to ask you about starting a 3d printing business and hustle club, but first I got to do my hustle, which is thanking our wonderful, I have a button here somewhere, thanking our wonderful sponsor for today, which is PCB way. Uh, so those of you who like making like building stuff, eventually you will come upon some limitation of what you are able to do in your own home environment or even in your shop, whether that's manufacturing a PCB, having CNC machining done, sheet metal fabrication, or maybe you do want to scale up your products because you have optimized them and you want to injection mold. PCB way can do all of that for you. They do it at amazing prices because everything is manufactured in China. I've toured some of their factories and it is just unbelievable the scale at which they do things. They have super fast turnaround, super wonderful pricing, phenomenal customer service, and a trained engineer will actually review all your models or all your PCBs and make sure that you haven't made any mistakes. So don't be intimidated if you know, you're know you not great at designing in CAD, especially if you're not great at designing in CAM. They'll take care of that for you. And uh, they are our longest standing sponsor. So thank you to PCBWay. And you guys can check the link in the description. You get a $5 welcome bonus. So, all right. Tell me about, I wasn't going to ask you this because I think it's very hard for people to give advice uh, unless they've they've really thought about it because I think the best we can do, I actually was in entrepreneurial masterminds for many, many years and they always said like, don't give advice, experience share. And I think it's really, really hard for us to give advice unless you know we've trained at it and practiced it. It sounds like you have a group of people that you already mentor. So I am going to ask the question I wasn't planning on asking which is what advice do you have for people who love 3D? I mean, we'd all love to make money off our one 3D printer sitting around, but for the folks who love 3D printing enough that they're like, no, no, I want to devote time and energy to this. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to make you know the, the investment of, of really time, attention, focus. And I want to think about really turning this into a business. Where do people start? Um, that's a great question. I could probably answer that for an hour. Um, I did a video recently called uh, something like 10 things I learned running a print farm or something. Mm -hmm. And the, the first thing I talk about is that it's not passive. So my first, my first bit of advice is really ask yourself, is that, is this something that you want to do? Do you want to, to run essentially a manufacturing cell? Cause that's, that's what you're going to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be this, this fairy tale idea of your print. You just hit buttons and you go off and live your life and then money shows up in your bank account. There's a lot of manual labor and things that, that go with it that are aided in by the 3D printer, obviously, um, but it's still driven by, you know, human hands, essentially. So like the, the point I'm at now is I, I'm spending way too much of my own time doing manual labor when I should be doing other more valuable things, right? Yes. Every entrepreneur or business runs into this is like, when do I let go? When do I delegate? Um, so that's what I'm running into. So like, 
<clears throat> the first question you should ask yourself is, do I actually want to do this? Like wanting to make money and wanting to run a manufacturing cell are two different things. Yeah. So assuming that answer is correct or that answer is true, um, the next thing I would, I would say is that whatever it is that you, you know, and you mentioned the riches are in the niches, and that's absolutely true, especially with 3D printing because right. the volumes are, are low enough such that it supports that. Um, those niches have to be something that you are either passionate about, you know a lot about, or, um, or maybe is an issue that you are intimately familiar with. Like the number one problem I see that people have is they, they have a, a product idea for a market they know nothing about, for a problem they never experience, talking to people they don't know, right? So like it has to be adjacent to your life in some way. So think about everything, you know, whether it be your interests, your hobbies, um, yep. you know, your it's profession, whatever it is. Actually have. Yeah. Yeah. So like, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to sustain the momentum to keep going. Like if you just think like, I'm not a gamer, right? But if I wanted to address the gaming community, I'm going to run out of um, motivation much quicker than addressing something that I'm a, yeah. a part of, right? Yeah. Um, so make it adjacent to whatever it is that you have an interest or passion in. Um, and also then just you'll have start. so much knowledge that otherwise you have to go out and acquire, right? Like I yeah. actually used to, to take your example, I actually use this saw. I actually understand like what kind of right. cuts I'm going to be doing. Imagine if you've never used a miter saw, you're trying to design that and you're like, well, I did one cut. It's like, no, if you're using a miter saw, you're using it cause you're doing 30 cuts in rapid exactly. succession. That's going to change the way that you're designing the amount of flow and, and, and things like that. And uh, right. yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off, continue. No, no, you're good. Um, and then like the, the next thing is start. Like a lot of us get in this like, you know, whether you call it paralysis of analysis or whatever it is. Um, something that I've, I've seen in, in the, the hustle club that I, that I have is that some people are so afraid to put an idea out there because they think it's gonna be stolen that they just never do anything. Right. And like there's, of course, there's like uh, there's truth to that, right? You've got to be careful about just like putting ideas, especially on the marketplaces like Etsy, because right. like as I'm as I'm finding out every day, someone's popping up and trying to do exactly what I'm doing. But all that tells me it's a feedback loop of like, oh, it's a good idea, keep doing that, right? Right. right. Like, you can't be so afraid of somebody stealing your idea that you do nothing because then you're in the same. Well, spot an idea so, is is less than ten percent. It's like the actual exactly. grind. Everyone can think of great you. ideas. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Have you yeah, ever so take had action. anyone steal your designs or they're redesigning on their own? Um, it's so I, there's, I found three now that little, so I also sell the SDL files, which is a, you know, at the risk I'm, I, I knowingly took. So yeah. yeah, people have bought the SDL files and they've literally just taken my listing images, everything and just plopped them. And I imagine so it's, it's more of a noise. real fast. If you, you so you can't, I would, I would have thought so too. One of them I was denied. Really? I don't know how, uh, the other one, I, it was approved, but it's just, it's a pain, you know, it's like, you gotta go through yeah. the process. You gotta fill out a form. It's like, ugh. Uh, but yeah, now I'm finding that there's people that are just trying to design a very similar product and just kind of going down the same path. So, you know, you can, you can focus game, on that. By the way, like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a free market. That's an like, interesting I, I thing it. of like, and this is a topic that's come up on the show a few times, uh, of like, DRM for 3D printing, right? Like I license you to print it one time or I license you to print it, but you can't upload it. Nothing like that exists, but I am hoping 
that with the standardization of, uh, or how should I say this, the narrowing of the market, right? I think three years from now, we're not going to have 5,000 different printer models. It's going to be like five or 10 in the same way that like, you know, yeah, there are a ton of Android phones coming out, but there aren't hundred, you know, it's kind of standardized, yeah. right? There's fewer yeah. models and they're all coalescing. And then you could just sell G code, which is mm. just sell the G code. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess that doesn't stop someone from printing that G code again and again, though. But it stops them no, from uploading the I mean, file. Yeah. The, yeah. There's, but there could be some, yeah, like major agreement between manufacturers that right. somehow you can limit the number of prints or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the hope. But right now it's the Wild West, so anybody could do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm curious. So you, you have a lot on your plate. You're also a dad. I'm curious if you break down the revenue, like how much of it comes from content creation, how much of it comes from, you know, the YouTube. I don't know if you want to get into like sponsor deals, not sponsor deals, but maybe break down for me the, the pie of content creation versus running the print farm. Yeah. In percentages. Well, th this year, the weight has shifted to the print farm for sure. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That surprises um, me because you've shifted your focus into creating more content and you've invested in the yeah. studio and recording space. Right. Um, you know, every year up to up to this point, I've done an income breakdown on my channel where I go. It started like four years ago when I wasn't making much money. I just thought like nobody probably knows how this works. So like, let me share my experience. Right. Um, so I've broken down like the money I've made, which has been up to up to last year, pretty much all just YouTube stuff. Right. So now I have this like I think of like what I do is like two buckets. Right. I have the content creation side and then the the product side, yeah. uh, the print farm. Um, so like revenue now is probably like. Two thirds print farm, one third content, roughly. That um, blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's. And it's, it's steadily like, inc so I, I like, if I project out, like, I think the scale is going to get even heavier on the 3D printing side, just that because of my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's, but that, that it, it speaks volumes to like the, the riches and the niches thing, right? Like I found something that is working well, that I seem to have like at least a temporary foothold <laughs> in sure. that part of the market. And, uh, and it's, and it's bigger than I'm serving now. So you know, that's like that's why, I'll tell you why it blows my mind though. Not, not because it's not a great idea and all that stuff. It blows my mind because if I, if you were to ask me what drives what, right. When I look at creator businesses and I, I'm like, I taught accelerated learning in my last business. That was like my thing. So like when I get interested in something, I go deep. Right. And so I could tell you like yep. all the creators, all their businesses, how they're running, what they're doing. Um, almost invariably you find that the driving engine is the content. And as soon as you shift focus away from the content, there's no longer a funnel coming into the products. But what you're saying right. is maybe it's not the case. Maybe it's just that your content doesn't generate as much revenue, but what it sounds like you're saying is the products business is growing faster than the YouTube business, which would indicate that you're just getting a ton of organic traffic and it is not the YouTube is not the driver of the products business. Correct. Which blows my yeah. mind because I don't know if people who have miter saw dust shields are doing that much word of mouth marketing, you know? 
Yeah, it's uh, the feedback I get is that when someone gets one and they, they have a good experience, they'll share it with their local woodworking community. And so like, it's like, it's good and it's bad, right? Because like early on, 100% of my customers were people who had watched my YouTube videos, knew who I was and uh, understood sort of the backstory. Now I get, you know, like you said, I get organic traffic from people who have no idea who I am, which is great, that's right? That's, uh, that's kind of what you want. Right. But they, they come with like, because they don't know the history, they don't know who I am, they don't know my backstory, they come with like a certain level of expectations. Like they want to know why their product hasn't shipped within two hours and they want, they you know, think I think I'm Amazon company. all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. So you get like this whole, and, and people are asking questions. I'm like, have you not watched? Oh, of course you've never watched the video. So like That's what I try to do is I, yeah. So I try to tie it all together. So like I have inserts that go with my products that bring them back to my YouTube channel. So it's yeah. like, I'm, I'm trying to like feed the funnel. Like I, I view a lot of my YouTube channel as like a marketing funnel essentially, right? 100%. Um, I don't want to treat it like that, but that's how I, that's how I look at it. I, I look at it as being extremely fortunate to have this tool to immediately have the ear of my target audience. Right. And right? get that's paid you, to get in front of your yeah, target you audience instead of the other way around, which is crazy. It's crazy. Right. Um, have you thought about putting a video on your thank you page? Like right after someone places that order of like, Hey, I don't know if you know, but like, this is a whole that's thing. That's a good idea. I, I yeah, did no, that's so a good before idea. the content aware, creation. I did a, uh, geez, seven years of an e-commerce business. I okay. had one of Inc's like 5,000 grow fastest growing businesses in America in wow. 2017 doing e-commerce, luxury car parts, like shipping widgets. Wow. Yeah, man. Nice. So your, your story like brings me back, you know, to boxing up widgets and inventory and shelves and shelves. I wish yeah. I could have printed Good my products back then instead of importing them. <laughs> From Europe and China. So you weren't even drop shipping. You were like holding inventory and boxing and yeah, man. From the age of sixteen to twenty-two. Wow. 23. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. The fulfillment side is is a piece of the animal you don't realize <laughs> is as big yeah. a deal as it is once you once you get into it. You're lucky though. You're in Ohio. You're two two three days priority mail from anywhere in the country. Pretty much, yes. Continental, yeah. Yeah, and even Still international is not bad, yeah. Now, this hustle club, I'm curious, is this like a paid mastermind or this is just a group of friends? Like, if someone out there in it's, the audience is like, I, I want, you know, Travis to be my mentor, how does that happen? Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a membership level on things.com. So I, I host some, some of my designs on things and there's varying, you know, paid tiers that give you different access. The top one is called the hustle club and it's, it's like 75 bucks a month. It's really, it's for people that just want like that. Cause I get, you know, like you, I'm sure you get inundated with people asking, you know, Hey, I'm doing this. Can I get your feedback on this? Or I want your advice. And I, I would love to answer everybody, but I just don't have the time to do it. So this is a way where I can focus that attention and that energy to helping these people, not because they're, because it's like this huge money generating activity for me, but it's a way for me to justify spending my time doing it. Um, and my goal of course, is to give them like a 10 X at least return on that money. Right. I don't want, I don't want them to feel like they're not getting their money's worth. So, you know, we have a discord channel. I share my cell phone number with them. If you want to jump on a call, like I'm happy to do that. Uh, and then I do a live stream every month, uh, yeah. with them as well. So that sounds yeah, just way like underpriced, but again, I come from personal development where people spend 25 yeah. grand a year for masterminds. So 
I know, I know that it's, it's a new thing for me. So I'm just kind of seeing like, you know, if it, if it were to balloon up to too many people, then I'd, I'd use price to manage the, yeah the uh, total headcount. So yeah, it's just kind of a fun thing that I started probably four or five months ago. Very, very cool. Uh, I want to give the audience an opportunity to ask questions. There's going to be a little bit of a delay, but guys start typing up your questions now. In the meantime, I'll ask you my kind of rapid fire succession questions. It's going to be a little harder for you. I think all the questions okay. are going to be harder for you. Uh, the first one is because you run a farm and a business. And so it's not like you're not, you know, uh, a, a developer of 3d printing software who does 3d printing as a hobby. You do it as a business, but, um, you have a great idea. You want to print it out. You want it just to print perfectly the first time. What's the printer you're going to? Uh, probably one of the X ones behind me, the bamboo okay. lab. Okay. They're awesome. Uh, what's your most beloved printer. So it's not always your best printer. In my case, it's not. Which printer do you love the most? It might be the same. Um, you know, I had a soft spot for the first Mark III, mm -hmm. Prusa Mark III that I had, but it's it's since died. So now it's oh, just no. a, it's like a memorial on a shelf. <laughs> okay. Um, I got, I just got an XL. It's sitting right next to me in the box, which I've not taken out, but I'm really excited to play with it. I can't um, imagine. But I don't know. I. Like, so when I was, I know you asked rapid fire, I'm giving you a long winded answer. When I worked at Mark Forge, I got, I got to have one of their industrial machines in my office. It's like a $70,000 printer. That thing was the, I mean, it was so spoiled. I mean, like, you know, I, I talked to people about three. Yeah. So I could print carbon. I could print parts that were strong as aluminum, like right behind me at my desk, right? At, <laughs> at any point. And I, and I can use it for whatever I wanted. Like they would just send me endless material. I could do whatever I want. So. You know, price being no object, I would say a Mark Forge X7 at the time was was uh, probably my most beloved. But yeah, I mean, one of the one of those, you know, those X ones or even like a P1S or P1P, they're they're just great. So that's a good answer, the Mark Forge. I haven't gotten that one. I think you're probably one of the first people, except Joel, I think, has played around with the Mark Forge, who's actually spent some time on a Mark Forge. Um, another rapid fire question. I'm going to qualify it because you do printing at a, at a manufacturing scale. What's the last thing you printed for yourself or your family? Ooh, what was that? Um, this is the part I thought would be hard for you. <laughs> oh, uh, two custom parts for a, a CNC laser cart I just built. So one was okay. like a, they're basically like bezels essentially. So there's like a bezel with like a, some text on it that I screwed to the outside of yep. my uh, cart. Awesome. So no one has asked any questions in the chat. I'll share my most recent print. And this is a, a plug for whoever designed this. But I don't know if you guys know these parametric boxes. Let me switch so Those I can see myself. These are amazing. And I print them for everything because I get a lot of products to review like laser cutters or laser, uh, not laser, 3D scanners and all kinds of stuff that I get not in the official packaging with the official carrying case. So I've just been printing these off because I take the product home, I bring it back, da, da, da. Or I want to bring just one camera, not all my cameras in my camera bag. So you just make a yep. custom one for that camera. I cut a little hole here so I can run cables through, you know, nice. this for a 3D scanner. So I've been printing these for everything, SD cards. They're just so great. Like I have those- Does it print with live hinges? Uh, no, that you assemble it because it actually has uh, latches. So there's oh, like okay. hardware in there. Yep. And then very cool. Yeah. Awesome. And you can yeah, over tighten them if you want like 
to put a piece, I don't know if I'm in frame or not. If you wanna have like a piece of equipment here, like a stream deck or whatever, like mm -hmm. touch interface and one here, one there, you can tighten the hinges so it can like hold itself like that. Awesome. Awesome. Nice. And they're waterproof if you put the TPU seal in there. Phenomenal. Huh. Phenomenal. Fully parametric. Uh, all right, we got our first question um, and comment. So Jake says, I'm a neighbor city to the shop nation. Shipping is great out of Ohio. James M wants to know your favorite CAD program. Um, so when I was working in engineering, I used SolidWorks probably the most, um, but I've done Autodesk Inventor. Right now I'm using Fusion 360 pretty much primarily. Mm -hmm. I think Fusion definitely has its limits, but I'd love the fact that it's approachable to everybody. Like, yep. I mean, whether it's on shape fusion, they're all great. Um, but the fact that anyone can get them now for, you know, even 10 years ago, like a SolidWorks license was like $10,000. So I mean, who the <laughs> hell is going to spend $10,000 just to model things. Right. That's insane. So that's, that's part of why I love 3d printing, driving the market down and making it approachable yeah. for everybody. Yeah. All right. Andy has a great question that I'm going to expand on. He wants to know your go-to filament type. I remember seeing in one of your videos, just boxes and boxes of Prusament. I wonder if that's changed now that you started running a uh, bamboo printer. So what filament brand is your go-to? Cause I know you're big on standardization and are you mm -hmm. printing all pet G or ABS or PLA? What are you running? Yeah. So all of my products are all pet G <clears throat> um, just mostly for the heat resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I, I think Prusament is probably some of the best filament out there you can get your hands on. Of course, it's a little pricey and it ships from yeah. Europe, but uh, it's, I mean, it's stuff's great. Like quality wise, like at Mark Forge, they made their own filament. And I used to always be confused by that until I was educated why. So like part of their eco, so they, Mark Forge does filament software and printer, right? And they do that not because they want to, but because it's the only way to control the total experience of the customer um, and, and print quality. So like the fact that Prusament is plus or minus 0.02 millimeter in diameter in two directions means your prints don't clog up. You've got consistency, all that kind of stuff. Most uh, filament manufacturers are like 0.03 maybe, um, which you wouldn't think is a big deal, but it is a big difference. Okay. Um, so Prusament, I think, is like if you want great filament, and I still print some of my stuff in, in Prusament, but I've moved to uh, a U.S.-based manufacturer called Push Plastics, and I buy... I buy three kilogram spools now and I, I go through probably 300 to 350 kilograms a month. Um, so I buy it like 350. Yeah. Holy shit. How many products yeah. are you shipping in a month? How many boxes? Um, I think we're averaging probably around a thousand ish a month. Wow. Okay. Wait, but um, sorry, it, someone it, criticized me for cutting you off and I did exactly that in the chat. Uh, you said we're, you're burning through 350 kilos a month that you were going somewhere with that. So, um, I don't remember where I was going with that. I think but, you were going to say you, you're probably buying not in one kilo increments anymore. You're probably buying. Correct. Kilos. Yeah. So I'm doing, I'm doing three kilogram spools and yeah. to, to manage price and quality of consolidated. Cause you know, you obviously can't get that biggest spools from Prusament plus it would be kind of expensive. So, um, buying locally they're you know, here in the U.S., they're in Arkansas. Um, mm -hmm. So three kilogram spools, and I, I get them at a discount because I buy them in bulk. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask why not run bamboo filament for the bamboo printers with the RFID tag. You don't have to – because I imagine when you're – but 
I guess it's that, right? It's the availability of three kilo spools. Yeah. So I've, I've made custom racks with like hangers off the front of the racks for the three kilogram spools that so far have been working really well. The, I, in my farm, I use all P1Ps. I just added three P1Ss, um, but it's all P1Ps for now. Interesting. I feel like we could do a whole episode just about running a print farm and all the things you've learned. And maybe we'll do a follow up on that. Uh, we have one other yeah. question from the audience, which is, Jake wants to know, what's your favorite three printer names your wife has handed out to the fleet? I think that's good. Also, I think <laughs> your wife popped into the chat, so say hi. Oh, did she? Yeah. Um, let's see. She's she's pretty funny, so she's got some good names. Like she put uh, she put Bill and Hillary Clinton next to each other, and then Monica next to them. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Are they all people? She, uh, have a theme. They're all people. Uh, no. Well, actually, yeah, I think they all, all are people. Like uh, my theme. first printer, the one that died, uh, was named Tupac, so he's kind of like the OG. Um, Pretty good. What? Like, oh, the the first three P1Ps, she tried to name them fast names, like Ricky Bobby, if you've ever seen Talladega yeah. Nights. <laughs> and then uh, Valentino Rossi, motorcycle okay. racer, and then Team Red Bull or something. I don't know, but she she had a great time. So, yeah, I just let her name whatever she wants. That's really great. I recently started naming my printers just because I, I hired an employee who's helping me manage some of the stuff in my little mini farm. And it's such a hassle to be like, Hey man, can you print this out on the 0.2? Which one? Yeah. The LDO, which one? So I, yeah, named them. Exactly. And I went with animal names. So all Vorons are uh, snakes. I don't know. Nice. Why, but, you know, the logo, all Vorons are snakes. All bamboo printers are big cats. So that behind me is Tiger, or that's Cheetah at the office. The X one is Tiger. This little guy here, let's pull him in. Some people have cats on their live streams. I have 3D printers. This little guy is Viper. Hey, Viper, Viper. nice. Little that little guy. One. My big Voron is uh, Python. I'm going to build an even bigger Voron that's going to be Anaconda. I've already got nice. them all named, you know? Anyway, I should let you go. You have a business to run. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, and uh, check out everything you're doing. Where should we send them? I'm sure you got a bunch of different links for us to put in the description. Yeah, I mean, uh, YouTube channel is just Shop Nation. Uh, Instagram is at Dream Shop Nation. And uh, website where I sell product is shopnationstore.com. Amazing. Travis, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Uh, I've learned a lot from you. I hope you'll come on again and we can talk all about farming, the modern farming. For sure. And, uh, I'm sure my audience uh, really enjoyed the episode, so thank you. Cool. Thanks for having me. See ya. All right, my friend. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Infill Podcast. For show notes or links to anything mentioned in today's episode, visit thenextlayer.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening or click the like button to let us know and consider subscribing to the next layer on YouTube so you can tune in live and participate in the next conversation. We'll see you on the next layer.